Hello and welcome to the From My Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Marshall, and we have a lot to get into. We're going to talk group of five college football. We're going to give the, 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 the smaller teams some love today. I'm going to give you my Eastern Conference playoff predictions, my my surprise move as the Chicago Bears, my, my take on the Chicago Bears starting Mitchell Trubisky, and my surprise team, who I actually think will win the NFC West and raise a lot of eyebrows as they won't be immediate championship contenders, but they will down the line. We have a lot more to get into. We have Gambler's Paradise. And I'm going to give you my perspective 10, which is the top 10 listing based on my opinion in the NFL. And without, But before we start today, uh, it, it's been a rough weekend for me. And I believe it was Monday. We had Monday uh, Monday morning, Sunday evening. It, 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 it was an awful weekend for me and the country. Um, I had lost, I had found out I had lost a good friend of mine, Ashanti Billy, to senseless violence. It would, uh, she was abducted on her way to work and that, that's all we really know right now. Um, there's not too much information out on it and I just wanted to tell her thank you for all she's done for me. She was a big part of the lacrosse team at my high school, um, she was a big part of my brother's life, and she's she's gone too soon. There's 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 no reason. She was literally the nicest person you'll ever meet. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about her. Um, and I just wanted to say rest in peace and thank you for all you've done. And then in Las Vegas, we had a domestic terrorism incident where a man from the thirty second floor of a hotel opened fire on a concert killing over 50 people as that death toll continues to rise and the injured toll continues to rise. He injured over 200 people. And it's times like these where you just sit back and, you know, just evaluate everything. Like, what what is going on? Why? Senseless violence, it has to stop. There's no reason for my friend not to be here right now. There's no reason for those 50-plus families to be grieving right now in Vegas. There's no reason for it. And as the country seems to get more divided than ever, we need to come together. And it starts with the people. It starts with being a decent human being, number one. And it starts with the people, then it trickles up, matriculates to the government. And as a whole, we need to find something in this country to bring us together. And there's no, there's no time that brings Americans together like tragedy, like 9-11. The whole country stood together. And right now, politics and people don't aren't aren't aligning right now. You have the NFL. You have Donald Trump, who's more worried about the NFL than people drowning in the Virgin Islands in Puerto Rico. He still hadn't been. And we just have to prioritize ourselves as a country and come together and stop the nonsense, stop the senseless violence. And that, that's all I can really say on it. Um, Let's let's take it over to some sports and let's start with college football. The you know one of the purest forms of football and something I love to watch every weekend. But we're gonna as AP did drop uh, release their top twenty five, which had Alabama number one, Clemson number two, Oklahoma number three, Penn State number four, Georgia sneaking up there at number five, Washington at number six, Michigan seven, TCU eight, Wisconsin nine, and Ohio State ten. But we're not going to talk too much about the big dogs today. We're going to talk about the smaller schools, the group of five schools. And under the new playoff system, as we all know by now, has been implemented for a while, that at least one group of five team 
That means you belong to the American Athletic Conference, the Conference USA, Mid-American Conference, MAC, Mountain West, or Sunbelt Conference will receive a bowl invitation to play in one of the six major New Year's New Year's one of the six major bowl games titled the New Year's Six, but you have to be a conference champion. But there are quite a few teams that are alive right now, and I'm going to give you the real contenders for it. And those are number 19 in the country, San Diego State, Boise State, Navy, number 18 in the country, South Florida, and number 25 in the country, UCF. And I'm, I'm going to throw Troy in there, mainly because they're their major win at LSU, and that's why they're here. And as you can see, we have six teams realistically in the hunt for the bids or or bids. They can give out more than one, but likely they won't. And before I rank them, let me explain why Boise State's here because a lot of people are saying, how is the 2-2 two and two team still alive? Boise State lost at Washington State in overtime, although they blew a 20-point lead. They lost at Washington State in overtime, and the Washington State team that beat USC. The committee isn't going to hold that against them. Washington State beat, the, at the time, number five in the country, USC. And then they just lost to Virginia, who remains unbeaten. And that game was pretty much revenge in my eyes because when I was at the Boise State-Virginia game in Virginia where Boise State just completely embarrassed Virginia and the roles, the tables have turned and the roles were reversed. There's no excuse for the way they played because they played awful. But at the end of the day, they lost to a power five team. In all, rea- in all reality, no one expects a group of five teams generally to beat a power five team. And that's why they're still alive. If they would have lost to a mid-major or, or a group of five, they wouldn't be here right now. And their performance in Virginia does impact how I rank them in this next ranking. But let's start with number one, and that's San Diego State. San Diego State has beaten Arizona on the road in Stanford at home. That's two major wins in back-to-back weeks, which puts them over anyone else competing in for a New Year's Six bid right now. And looking at their schedule, they can pick up another qual- a couple quality wins as they'll face Boise State at home. And San Diego State can beat Boise State twice. And I say twice because they can meet in the Mountain West Championship. They can beat them twice. And if they run the table, they are 100% locks to get that bid. Number two, I have Navy. They're currently four, and I would have the opportunity to add multiple quality wins through their conference schedule in one out of conference as they'll play at Memphis versus UCF in back-to-back weeks. Then three weeks later, they'll play at Notre Dame and at Houston in back-to-back weeks. Navy's schedule enables them to bolster their resume. I don't think, and, and, and don't think the committee won't, won't give them a little bump and a little push for beating these teams in back-to-back weeks as playing two back-to-back games, especially on the road, is tough to do. But if they can win convincingly, they'll be right up there with San Diego State. Number three, I have Boise State, and I, I was tempted to put at number two, but that loss to Virginia, and I was even tempted to drop them one more spot for the way they lost to Virginia. So Virginia had a big impact here, but in terms of having the best chances to, uh, to solidify their, their spot here, let me explain why. The committee has shown that out-of-conference scheduling matters, even if they're not winning it. Look at Washington State. I mean, excuse me, Washington the committee did not want them in the playoff at all. Do you remember last week, I mean last year when the first rankings came out? They put a 7 and 1 Texas A&M team that lost to Alabama over the unbeaten Washington Huskies because they didn't play anyone. Scheduling matters. Not to mention Boise State can pick up two high-profile wins over San Diego State, at least one on the road at San Diego State. And then in the conference title game, 
he can also they can also pick up a win versus Josh Josh Allen, who's a special talent, definitely going top five in the draft in Wyoming. They can win at Colorado State. And if they can run the table in the best group of five conference, it'll be a huge boost in them in my eyes and in the committee's eyes. Now, if Boise State Boise State is walking a fine line here. Because if they lose, they're done. It's over. Even if they win their conference, it's over. But looking at the teams below, their schedules are nothing compared to Boise State, and that matters. Number four, I have USF. I'm not the biggest fan of South Florida. Are they a good team? Yeah. But who do you play? Illinois, who just got embarrassed at home versus Nebraska and beat Ball State at home by three. If we're being honest, we'd all be upset if they weren't undefeated at this point. Unlike San Diego State, Boise State, and Navy, they've played no one and have no quality opponents on the schedule outside of who uh, UCF, who's good, and Houston. USF has to run the table and hope that SDSU has more than one loss. Because if I'm the committee, I'd rather have a one-loss San Diego State team in than an undefeated USF because San Diego State has played people. And it's not that I don't like USF. They're, just, they're, they're actually entertaining to watch. But who have you played to earn that New Year's Six bid? And number five, I have UCF, who I was tempted to put over USF, but they're only going to play nine games this season. And it's not their fault. We can't keep hurricanes from happening. We can't, we, there's nothing we could do about it. But it's not a good look, even if you're unbeaten. I'm not sure how the committee will handle UCF, even though even if they do win their conference, they'll be 10-0. But will you put them over a 12-1 and San Diego State or an 11-2 and Boise State because they played three less games than them? And you, it, I don't know what the committee will do there. I, I, that's why I was wondering when they first started canceling games. I'm like, how is the committee going to look at this? How are they? They have to, and it's kind of too late to reschedule any of the games, but how is the committee going to look at that? And how are they going to interpret the three, the three less games that they've played? And then number six, we have Troy, who's really only here because of the win at LSU, which is arguably the best win out of all these schools. But they did lose to Boise State, in which in a tie-breaking scenario, they'd lose, obviously. But they're not a better team than anyone here. And looking at their schedule, they have no quality opponents left. It'd take a miracle for Troy to get this bid, but they're still alive nonetheless. But let's switch it over to the NFL. And I want to talk about my surprise team, the team that really surprised me the most. And that's the Los Angeles Rams, who currently are 3-1, and one, and boy, do they look good. The Rams' offense is clicking on all cylinders, averaging 35.5 points per game in the NFL behind Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, and Sammy Watkins. The Rams are going to win the NFC West because as of right now, they're more talented than Seattle. They're more talented than Arizona, who's old, and the 49ers are rebuilding. First-year head coach Sean McVay, who happens to be the youngest coach in the league and the youngest head coach in NFL history at 31 years old, is amazing. He's doing exactly what they what, – what he's getting he, – he, I'm excited here because he's exactly what this team needed. Someone young, vibrant, and offensive-minded, something former head coach Jeff Fisher was just not. He didn't relate to uh, – uh, not Colt McCoy, uh, Jared Goff. He didn't care about offense. The defense has always been good in Saint Louis, I mean Los Angeles. They just needed a quarterback, who's Jared Goff, and an offensive-minded coach to get the most out of him, who's Sean McVay. The Rams have a big opportunity to prove, to prove they belong. And looking at the next five games, 
they can assert their dominance at home versus Seattle. I think it'll be a close game, but I think the Rams will win. They can go at Jacksonville, win. Versus Arizona, win. At New York, this is going to be a good game, but I, it's going to be a close one because the Giants' defense is good, but how long will that Giants' defense have to stay on the field, which will result in a St. Louis, I mean, excuse me, Los Angeles win? And then you have versus Minnesota, who may not have Bradford and don't have Dalvin Cook for the season, so that's a win. I don't realistically see the Rams being worse than 6-3, and three, but really no worse than 7-2 and two after these next five games. And, and Goff, as I said, he's the future. He looks like a star. He's finally playing with that confidence. Last year, he looked like a deer in the headlights, if we're being honest. He didn't know what was going on. If you look at Hard Knocks, he didn't know if the sun rised in the east. He didn't know the, the sun rose in the east and sets in the west. So we had a bad first impression of Jared Goff, but looking at him right now with Sean McVay and those weapons, he's a problem. And we're going to keep it on surprises here. The Bears will start Mitchell Drubisky, rookie, who I think will be a franchise quarterback after getting manhandled by Green Bay on Thursday night football. They pulled the plug on Mike Glennon, who I think it was a little premature, but after reviewing his contract a little bit and when I went on spot track, I knew exactly why they did it. The Chicago Bears signed Mike Glennon to a three-year, $45 million deal with 18 and a half guaranteed, which is the perfect deal because guess what? They can get out of it this year. It's essentially a one-year, $18.5 million deal. And now, if I'm Chicago, I want the largest sample size I have of Mitchell Trubisky so I can make this educated decision at the end of the season. If Trubisky looks, doesn't look too good, he's struggling, I guess we've got to bite the bullet and bring Mike Glennon back for these next two years. But if Mitchell Trubisky he shows up, he's playing well, they're winning, goodbye, Glennon. And we can use that cap space to go get anyone. We can, we can, that offensive line looks good, but we can add a couple more pieces to it. We can get him another wide receiver. We can build up that defense. Overall, this move makes a lot of sense for Chicago. And my first impression was that it wasn't, but because I felt like they're throwing him in versus Minnesota. But I guess there's no, I mean, there's no better way to train someone than throwing him in the fire. And we'll be back after a brief break, and we're gonna, I'm going to give you my Eastern Conference playoff predictions. Welcome back to the From My Perspective podcast. We went over a lot of NFL. As you can see, I'm very high on Jared Goff and the Rams. But let's switch it over to some basketball talk. And let's, I gave you my Western Conference predictions last week. This week is the week of the Eastern Conference, and let's jump right into it. Number one, Boston Celtics, 56-26. and 26. Number two, the Cleveland Cavs, 55-27. and 27. Number three, the Washington Wizards, 50 and 32. Number four, the Toronto Raptors, 50 and 32. Number five, the Milwaukee Bucks, 48 and 34. Number six, the Philadelphia 76 is 42 and 40. Number seven, the Miami Heat, 41 and 41. And number eight, the Detroit Pistons at 40 and 42. The, let's start with number one. The Boston Celtics have improved astronomically this offseason, bringing in two all-stars and point guard Kyrie Irving via trade and small forward Gordon Hayward via free agency. And I don't get how people are saying the Celtics lost so much talent. When number one, last season, with the same players they got rid of, you said they were overrated and they needed to move them for superstars. Those guys aren't there. They're, they're role players. They're not good. And then when they move them for superstars, oh, they lost so much talent. But that's typical sports hypocrisy. But the, the Boston Celtics will have some hiccups early. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you there because there's a lot of new faces but when you look at the roster, the Celtics have everything you need to play 
positionless basketball like Brad Stevens wants to play. You can mix and match lineups. If you want to go all shooters, you can go big with all shooters. You can have Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Morrison Horford. If you need a little bit more defense, you can throw in. You got Kyrie Irving, who has shown he can play defense. He's not a great defender, but he's, he's average at it. You can throw Kyrie Irving. You can put Marcus Smart. You can put Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, and throw whoever you want at the five. You can put who Daniel Thies at the five or Al Horford. This Celtics team has a lot of options. And contrary to popular belief, they won't struggle defensively. We've seen Kyrie try on defense. He's pretty decent at it, but he's a better defender than Isaiah Thomas. And for all you saying Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Gordon Hayward was ninth. In the league in defensive efficiency. Nice. He was an anchor alongside Rudy Gobert in Utah. So, yes, losing Avery Bradley was a loss, but they got Gordon Hayward, a bigger defender, in return. They still have Smart. They have Brown, Tatum, Morris, all solid defenders. And the Celtics got better offensively like they needed to do. They can knock down the three now, something they were decent at last year. They were 13th in the league, shooting 36%. But the Celtics as a team are way better now. Number two, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who I think will have a late surge in the, who had a late surge in the offseason, improving their roster at every position outside of point guard because I feel like you can't really upgrade Kyrie Irving. But they're, my, they're still my favorite to win the Eastern Conference despite not being a one seed. When Isaiah Thomas comes back, they're, they're going to be, that's another elite level scoring option. When you look at their rotation, it's deep. You have Derrick Rose and IT when he comes back. So IT will be the starter when he comes back. But right now, Derrick Rose, J.R. Smith, LeBron James, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. On the bench, you have Derrick Rose slash Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, Mon Shumper, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, Jefferson. This team can play. This team is deep. And with LeBron James, I think they're going to push the Warriors to six or seven games, might even win the series versus the Warriors. And don't get me wrong, the Warriors are elite. And I did say in my Western Conference that they're going to win the finals. But looking at this Cavs team again, it's going to be a good one. Number three, we have the Washington Wizards, who didn't have the best offseason, making no real big additions, overpaying for Otto Porter, who I would have let walk or orchestrated the sign-and-trade for with the Brooklyn Nets. But they really handicapped themselves for the future. They have. And when you're looking at when you're looking at Otto Porter's contract, you have three max contract slots filled up in Bradley Beal, John Wall, and Otto Porter. Really, only John Wall is worthy of it. You, you have no flexibility, but that's a horse of another color. The Wizards can still make it to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. They won't beat Cleveland because they're too powerful at the moment, but the Wizards may sneak up on the Celtics. They may sneak up on the Bucks, and they may sneak up on the Rock, uh, Raptors. Wall is arguably the top point guard in the East. I have him second behind Kyrie Irving, but the Wizards have a formidable roster. They're not... They're, they're no slouch. And with the Celtics having to learn each other, I don't expect them to get to the finals this year. And if they do get it, I don't expect them to win it. So a team that's really learning themselves, the Wizards can sneak up on each other when they're still building the identity. Number four, we have the Toronto Raptors, who are essentially the same as last year. The Raptors have a pretty predictable, they have a pretty predictable team and outcome. They have a solid roster. They're going to have a solid season and then bomb in the playoffs, as they always do the last four seasons. And they even made it to the Eastern Conference Finals one time, only to lose in six games. So the Raptors will have an, a, a, a solid season just to bomb in the playoffs like they usually do. Number five, I have the Milwaukee Bucks, who I think are ready to make that jump with Giannis, Jabari Parker, Chris Middleton, Brogdon, etc. They just got to remain healthy. 
And that's my number one concern. Why I can't even put him over the Raptors? Jabari Parker is recovering from his second ACL tear in his left knee. This this Bucks team, their if injuries didn't exist, the Bucks would be a formidable contender by now because they would have developed. But I can't trust the injury plague team like this. Number six, we have the Philadelphia 76ers who are going to be an exciting team to watch. They have all the components of a contender except one thing, experience. The Sixers won't win a playoff series, and they might, they might even get swept, but it'll be entertaining to watch. And because they have Joel Embiid, who has shown he can play, Fultz can ball, J.J. Reddick can shoot the lights out, Ben Simmons is baby LeBron. This team is the future of the NBA alongside Boston, and this will be much-needed experience and playoff experience that they otherwise wouldn't get in the Western Conference. So they're going to take full advantage of it. They're not going to win a series. They're, they might even win a game in the playoffs because right now, facing the Wizards, good luck with that, Philly. But the Sixers will be an exciting team to watch because they are the future of this league. Number seven, we have the Miami Heat, who turned it on late last season and too late come to find out. But they brought back their core. They even brought in some solid players like Kelly and Linick, and they'll be good enough to make the playoffs. And number eight, the Detroit Pistons. Yes, they beat out Charlotte. A decision I tussled with all night and today. The Hornets have the addition of Dwight Howard, which everybody seems to be praising, but I see that being bad. They, they're going to regress. Howard appears to be a locker room cancer. He destroyed L.A. Kobe hated him. He botched it in Houston. And the Atlanta Hawks team cheered when he was traded. You see a common thread here? Dwight Howard is the problem everywhere he goes. And he will be the problem in Charlotte. The Pistons upgraded at shooting guard. Yes, Avery Bradley is better than Contavious Caldwell Pope. But when you look at the team, they have the chemistry that you need. And Avery Bradley is just the new part. They still have Reggie Jackson, Tobias Harris, Stanley Johnson, Andre Drummond. And that'll be enough to put them over the edge here. And we're going to switch it over back to football as we it is football season. The NBA season hasn't started yet. Preseason has been exciting because I just like watching basketball. But let me give you my perspective 10. The Kansas City Chiefs are number one in the perspective 10 because they're playing out of their mind right now. Alex Smith, 1,600, I mean, excuse me, 1,067 passing yards, eight touchdowns. And you want to know the best part? No turnovers. The Chiefs are the only remaining unbeaten team. That's not why they're number one. But they and, and, and they're undefeated, and it's not like they've played nobody. They're number one because they won at New England, first Philly, at the Chargers, at Washington, where they even struggled early but pulled it together to get the late win. The Chiefs are an absolutely loaded team in terms of talent. They have the great underrated head coach Andy Reid, who I think Philly not so much right now regrets firing, but this proves Andy Reid is an elite-level coach. And this team is a real Super Bowl contender. Number two, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have a lot of issues in the locker room. But on the field, Big Ben looks decent. Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown. And Le'Veon Bell is back to himself, controlling time of possession, keeping their defense, which actually looks good this year, off the field. And say what you want about the Steelers in the locker room. On the field, they're solid. Number three, I have the Denver Broncos, who controlled every game they played in, which includes the utter beatdown of the Dallas Cowboys, except their loss at Buffalo. The Broncos' defense is, is going to carry this team as they always done, but the offense, which is a quarterback away, with weapons like Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas out wide, C.J. Anderson, Jamal Charles in the backfield, and a decent O-line, all they need is a solid quarterback, as I always say. And Trevor Simeon has looked the part so far. 888 passing yards, 7 touchdowns, completing 63% of his passes. 
Number four, I have the Atlanta Falcons. And the, I, I, the debate between Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers is over. Matt Ryan without Julio and, and Mohamed Sanu looked average. He's still a franchise quarterback and a quarterback I'd love to have, but he's no Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was at his top two tackles, top two wide receivers, had three touchdowns, 287 passing yards, and he continues every year to carry an average and banged-up roster to the playoffs every year. But as for Atlanta, they're above Green Bay number one because they're a better team than Green Bay, and they beat Green Bay in week two. And Atlanta can still play. Great offense, franchise quarterback, fast defense. They'll still win a lot of games, even if Julio can't go this week. Because last year without Julio, they put up 40 points twice. Despite their loss at home to Buffalo, they're still contenders. That was just a bad game. These Falcons are still contenders. Number five is the Green Bay Packers, who looked great for Thursday Night Bears, despite it being an absolute injury fest. The Packers look solid. Kevin King, the rookie cornerback, is impressive. Aaron Rodgers will continue to keep this team a contender. Number six, the New England Patriots. The defense is awful. Let's not sugarcoat it. Every quarterback they face looked great this year. But Bill Belichick will fix this. They're only 2-2. Two two. It's not the end of the world, Pat fans, as I've seen on social media. The Patriots are still my favorites to win the AFC. Number seven, we have the Philadelphia Eagles, who look good, led by Carson Big Time. The only loss came to the Chiefs, and Carson Wentz is a wizard out there. He's making things something out of nothing. He's moving around. The defense looks average, but the offense is good enough to win in Philly. Number eight, we have the Detroit Lions, who are definitely a top-ten team, and the only loss of the season was to Atlanta, and that wasn't really a loss. I just want to point that out. Detroit. And then when you look at number nine, we have the Los Angeles Rams, who we already heard me talk about. I love the Rams right now. I love golf. That defense, McVay, 35 points per game. They'll win the NFC West. Number 10, the Buffalo Bills atop the AFC East. They have two major wins over Denver and Atlanta in back-to-back weeks. This team looks good. And to end off the show, we have Gambler's Paradise. And last week, I was 0-3, which was embarrassingly bad. I'm now 4-4 in the season, and I must remain above 500 for my pride. And we're going to go with number the first one, the Giants, minus 3.5. Will not cover this spread versus the Los Angeles Chargers, who will always seem to find a way to lose. But I think the winner of this game will win by 3, 27-24. I'm not sure who I have winning. The Steelers, minus 8.5, will not cover the spread versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars' defense is great, to say the least. They have the most sacks in the NFL with 18, five interceptions, and six forced fumbles. Pittsburgh will win, but not by nine. And number and, and the Rams, minus 1.5, will cover the spread versus Seattle. The Rams' offense is built to score major points, averaging 35.5 points per game. Unlike Seattle's offense, that struggled for a half against the Colts. The Rams will win this in a low-scoring affair, and they will cover the spread. This has been the From My Perspective podcast. I hope you enjoyed.